0: Hello, my lovely listeners. I'm Dr. Mary Barson. And I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. Welcome to this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. Hello, lovely
1: listeners. Dr. Mary here. And I am joined by the fabulous Dr. Lucy Burns. How are you, Dr. Lucy?
0: Hello, gorgeous mares. I am incredibly well. We've been on a little road trip. So, During COVID, when Melbourne was experiencing the longest lockdowns on the planet, my hubby and I talked a bit about having breaks. So, you know, we both work in medical world and it's been incredibly um, intense, as people know. And my husband in particular, he's part of his management of this work pressure is to have something to look forward to. And he was always the king of having like two holidays planned so that when you finished one, you still had another one to look forward to. <laughs> and uh, in COVID, oh, my Lord, so many holidays were cancelled, rebooked, re rebooked. So we bought a caravan, and part of the theory of that was, well, first of all, we don't need to rely so much on borders. We don't need to rely so much on aeroplanes. We can actually just hook up the van and go and have little mini breaks all over the place, which is what we've been doing But we have just come back from a longer break, which I love because I can still keep connected with the real-life medicine community, with our beautiful members. So what it means is that, and I know some people would go, oh, how terrible that you have to work on your holiday. And I think, how wonderful that I can holiday on my work. (laughs) totally. Because otherwise you'd be restricted to only, you know, four weeks a year because that's pretty much what most people have. And instead I can go on holidays all the time and still work. Like it's brilliant. It's a beautiful reframe. And I love that you're
1: exploring our bit of the world. We live in Southern Victoria, which might not be considered one of the most the sexiest destinations in all of the world, but there is so much beauty around here, so much to see, so much to do. It is true that you need to carry your hat, sunscreen, rain jacket, coat and snake bite kit with you everywhere you go, but if you do that, it's great.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and you're right. We have definitely been exploring little parts of the world that we may not have ever, you know, bothered to go to right on our front door. What about you, darling? How have you
1: been? Well, I'm good. I'm good. I could by the time this podcast is released, I'll I'll have a little bouncing newborn baby boy. But, but mm-hmm. currently I'm, I'm simply heavily pregnant um, <laughs> with all the joys associated with that. But I'm all right.
0: I'm good. Lovely listeners, we have a bonza, very Australian word, bonza topic for you guys today. And it is something that we've had quite a few people emailing in and asking us to do a podcast on, which is actually a good thing to remind people that if there is a burning question that you've got, if there is something you'd love, a topic you'd love us to talk about, you can email us and we will we will do it. Our email is doctor, as in the whole word, D-O-C-T-O-R, at rlmedicine.com, and email us in some topics because we would love to have, like, listener requests. Mm. And the other thing, I have started reading out a few podcast reviews, but I forgot to get one ready tonight. But if you would love to, but we would love you. It would help us so much if you would leave us a review of this podcast, particularly if you found it helpful. It will only take a couple of seconds, but it absolutely helps us get the word out about this podcast and hopefully help other people. Because certainly we've had a few emails coming in where people have, been listening to the podcast and they're writing in telling us how much weight they've lost or how well they feel or how many medications they've reduced. And seriously, it absolutely makes our day when that happens.
1: It does. And the reviews really are helpful. And it's lovely to see the reach out there because our meaning, our purpose, Dr. Lucy, is to empower people to regain their health. That is what we want to do.
0: Absolutely. So today's topic, One that I certainly have overcome is nighttime eating. And what I mean by that is, I guess, eating after dinner. So dinner, tea time, whatever your last meal of the day, whatever you like to call it in your country. Uh, We sometimes call it tea. Sometimes we call it dinner. And I know dinner can be lunch in other countries. It's all a bit tricky. (laughs) The evening meal. Yes,
1: the evening. Some people call it supper and then supper is something else. But yes, your main evening meal. Yes. Um, yes. Eating after
0: that. <laughs> yes, it's interesting, and there's lots of reasons that we do it. But if we go back to a couple of the reasons that that I think are important, one one is physiological, and one may be that your your body actually is still needing fuel. So, particularly for people that are fasting, if you've fasted all day and you've had your a meal in the evening, it may not actually be enough. You may need to have more food. Now, if you're worried about eating in the evening and that's the scenario, then you could have a little, an earlier meal, like a, an afternoon meal, for example. And I know this is something, this is a strategy that works really well for me because I was often prowling. I call it prowling when you get off the couch and you start sort of just rummaging around your kitchen. You don't really know what you want, but you're on the prowl. And uh, I started having some Jimmy Cakes. And if you want to know what Jimmy Cakes are, they are a type of pancake made from essentially cheese and eggs named after our lovely Facebook friend, Jimmy James. I started having Jimmy Cakes at about three o'clock. And when I had those, two Jimmy Cakes with some Vegemite, it then meant my evening meal was a little smaller, but I then wasn't hungry after that. So that was helpful. But I suspect the biggest cause of nighttime eating is something that is, I guess, known in behavioural terms as classical conditioning. So, Mez, would you like to tell our listeners what we mean by classical conditioning? Yes, it's when our brains make associations between things and our brains
1: love to do this. This is how human brains work. We have some kind of a cue that triggers a behaviour. And then that behaviour gives us, you know, there's always some kind of reward with any kind of habit that we have. And for a lot of people, you know, nighttime, the they've had dinner, that is their cue to then have a dessert, to have something sweet. Or it's time to unwind and sit on the couch and watch telly, that is their cue to grab the chocolate. Or they finally get their kids to bed, that is their cue to go and have a sweet treat. And these habits can be really deeply deeply ingrained and, you know, you can do whatever you want because as we do say, you are definitely the boss of you. But for a lot of people, nighttime eating, particularly when we're eating sweet foods or nighttime drinking, you know, drinking alcohol, it's not helpful. It falls into the category of being unhelpful towards our health goals, but it can be a really, really difficult habit for people to kick. We have powerful stories in our head that lead us to eat at night, after dinner, tea, supper, when you're not hungry, and powerfully ingrained classical conditioning, you know, that takes a little while to unpack, takes patience, takes kindness, but it is possible.
0: Absolutely. And I think for some people it's, or lots of people, it is the idea they don't actually know why, why they want to eat something particularly sweet after dinner. So classical conditioning, it was described originally by Pavlov and he was a, a I think, Czechoslovakian researcher back in the early 1900s. And he did a couple of experiment, behavioural experiments on dogs. And so what happened was he wanted to understand salivation. So why do dogs salivate? And basically they would... And he wanted to work out could he kind of get them to do it on command? And you can't actually. You can't just say to the dog like you can't sit. You can't say to the dog drool. It's just not. It just doesn't happen. So what he noticed though was that when the dogs were being fed, just before the food got put down, they'd start to drool. And
1: he actually got this did surgery on them so that their salivary glands were external, so that he'd actually see them squirting saliva out of their cheeks.
0: Yes. Not sure about the kindness of that. Do we need to <laughs> share that anyway. <laughs> Continue. And so over time what he recognised was that the dogs would start to drool when they heard their keepers bringing the food. So the footsteps would start the drooling process. And he kind of went, oh, well, that makes sense because they recognise that the, the keepers, you know, are bringing the food, the food makes them drool, and they're just learning to drool a bit earlier. But then he wanted to work out, could he get them to drool with an action that had nothing to do with the food? So he first of all decided to ring a bell. And of course, nothing happened. This bell would just ring randomly and the dogs wouldn't even care about it, nothing. And over time, what he did was he started ringing the bell when the food got put down. So the food would get put down and of course, the bell would ring. And he did this for a little while and then he started ringing the bell again and the dogs would salivate. So the dogs recognised that ringing the bell meant food was coming and so they'd salivate in response to that bell ringing. So the bell itself has nothing to do with the food and before they were trained, it didn't make them salivate. But then after the training, after the conditioning, they associated ringing the bell with the food. Now, the thing in humans is that A, we're not an experiment, but we have classical conditioning all the time that we're not aware of. All kinds of Pavlovian responses. (laughs) Absolutely. There are things ringing our metaphorical bell that we're not aware of. And it feels like you have no control. You cannot understand why do I want to eat this? Why am I wanting to eat this? And it may well be that, as I said, something has rung your bell and your brain's going, yes, well, that means... Food's coming. So I was thinking about this when I grew up, which was I was a child essentially of the 70s. We had dessert every single night. Now, it wasn't necessarily fancy dessert. It was often ice cream and tin pineapple or ice cream and tinned peaches or banana custard. There was always some sort of dessert. And so I think, right, for 365 days, for 25 years, my brain goes, after dinner, there's dessert. So when I then tried to stop that, it was very hard because I didn't know what was going on. I'm thinking, what's going on? After dinner, I just always want dessert, whether I'm hungry or not. So I think, well, there's a classical conditioning response that evening meal equals dessert to follow.
1: Yes, I didn't get that and I don't know if that's just so much because I was a child of the 80s or just my family. I don't know. We certainly did do dessert sometimes but but definitely not routinely. And now being a parent, I'm quite conscious to not like give my child dessert every night you know we have it sometimes but she's it's really funny she's she's now nine and i think she's cottoned on to the fact that dessert probably should be something sugary and sweet but for many many years of her young life she just thought that dessert was anything you ate after dinner so she'd have her dinner and she'd still be hungry and she'd be like mom can i have another sausage for dessert please i'd be like sure love you can have as many sausages for dessert as you like Oh, shit, go and get some grated cheese for dessert. Or, you know, <laughs> dessert was just, I still need some more food. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yes. Absolutely. So I think it's so interesting, isn't it? The, the, I mean, and a habit itself is often just classical conditioning. The cue, as you talked about, you have the cue, there is a response to seeing that cue, and then there's a behavior that comes. So, the one little trick that we have for, that often works, sometimes it's it's all that is needed, is after dinner most people sit on the couch and will sit in the same chair every night.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: I have my spot, my husband has his spot, and that's it. It's like the same side of the bed. We would never swap. It wouldn't even occur to us. But if that is the spot that my brain goes, when you sit on this couch or when you sit on this chair, Lucy, that equals dessert or that equals something, some food, then the easiest way to change that is to change that cue, to swap chairs, sit in a different spot. It makes it so much easier. And remember, we're all about ease. We
1: are. I love that you're doing that
0: because you're just creating
1: enough of a cognitive break between the cue, the response, the behaviour, the reward, and just enough for you to just, Rethink, actually, I don't want the chocolate. That, I, I remember now that's not helpful. Rather than you just going straight through your nighttime routine, having eaten half a block of chocolate before you've even realized what you've done, breaking up the routine a tiny bit, sitting in a different chair is enough for you to remember. It's a beautiful way. I reckon another really helpful way to look at nighttime eating is to think about what do you get out of it? why are you doing it? And there's going to be different reasons for, you know, for different people. For some people, it's going to be the reward. I have slaved away at work with the kids all day. I deserve this. I deserve this treat. What are you actually getting out of that? Is it a break? Is it stress relief? Why are you doing that? And then try to find some way that's more helpful to get that same reward, the same thing that your body is craving, the same soothing, the same stress relief, but in a way that's
0: more helpful towards your goals. Mm, I love that. I love that. I think um, it is, it's interesting the stories in our head that come around and we talk a lot about the stories, but definitely reward eating is common. And people will, you know, I I think some of our clients that have shared with us that they they look forward to their nighttime routine of sitting on the couch with their block of chocolate. And that's what sort of powers them through the day. (laughs) And it may be that they, again, it's an association, it's a conditioning that chocolate equals time to yourself. I mean, it's not actually true. This is part of the thing about our stories. It's not actually true. Chocolate doesn't equal time to yourself. But that's what our brain believes. And remember, it will fill in the gaps to make it sound reasonable. And when you break it down to chocolate doesn't equal time to yourself, you go, of course not. That's That's what it believes at the time. That's right.
1: Milk chocolate isn't self-care. They're not the same. Yeah.
0: No. (laughs) Or that that your life will somehow be worse. Like uh, some people have a... Almost like a like breaking up with somebody <laughs> and a sadness about letting some of these things go grief yeah a grief grief and mourning but my favorite way to look at that is that it's actually like breaking up with a bad boyfriend so a boyfriend who promises you the world and then delivers you nothing who keeps promising who keeps stringing you along but never actually delivering the goods it's hard you keep having this potential but it never comes.
1: Just eating milk chocolate at night on the couch is the equivalent of a toxic relationship that you are probably
0: better without. Yeah, which feels hard because mm, you go, it is hard. Oh, but you know, but as we love to say, you can do hard things. Absolutely can do hard things. Sometimes you don't have to do hard things by yourself. And I guess this leads into our next idea. And this is that we have a little course now on ending nighttime eating by popular demand. Yes, exactly. Because for a lot of people, they did. They asked, what can I do about nighttime eating? Can you help us with nighttime eating? Our private coaching was essentially on managing nighttime eating. So we thought, well, rather than continuing to say the same things to the same people that work, why don't we put it in a course? So we have. Uh, So we'll we'll link it in the show notes. But it really is. It's a mini course. It won't take you long. And it has a beautiful hypnosis because, of course, remembering that hypnosis talks to your subconscious brain, which is where a lot of the links for our classical conditioning live. We don't know they're there. They're not conscious. That's the whole point of a subconscious brain. They're subconscious, they're repetitive, they're deep-seated, and you're not aware of them. So that's where hypnosis comes in. Hypnosis
1: is powerful. Yeah, it's a great course where we've distilled like all the coaching and techniques and wisdom that we have about overcoming nighttime eating, which is such a big block for so many people, into easy, digestible, doable chunks. And it is totally you could break up with milk chocolate. You you really can, and your life will be better for it. You can make those really helpful decisions at night and work towards your goals in a much faster and happier way.
0: Absolutely. And you can end nighttime eating, and it's wonderful. Lovely listeners, we will see you next time. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Take good care.
1: Bye-bye, everybody.
0: So, my lovely listeners, that ends this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. And I'm Dr.
1: Mary Barson. We're from Real Life Medicine to contact us please visit rlmedicine.com and until
0: next time thanks
1: thanks for for listening.
0: listening the information shared on the real health and weight loss podcast including show notes and links provides general information only it is not a substitute nor is it intended to provide individualized medical advice diagnosis or treatment nor can it be construed as such. Please consult your doctor for any medical concerns.